Hello everyone, and welcome to Surveillance Report 59, where we are dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news each week. This report is going to recap some of the most notable events in the last week, which is going to include some data breaches, Apple and some other software updates, there was a cool neighbor win story over some Ring smart doorbells, Snapchat had some very major news that you're going to want to hear about, some VPN updates, and there's going to be some really cool mobile research, and there's a lot of other fun stuff. Not too many stories, but there's some fun things that you definitely want to know. I'm Henry from TechLore, and Nathan is not going to be with us this week. He is busy doing his own things, making the world a better place. Um, as for the promo, we want to shill our Patreon this week. So we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash techlore, where you're able to donate and receive ex exclusive perks, like behind the scenes on some of our content, as well as join a very exclusive community. We're likely going to have a signal group very soon where you can have a nice little intimate area for... I guess other community members so definitely check that out if you want to be a bigger part of things and really help us out and keep things moving because all of this is free content first we're going to go ahead and start with data breaches so some of verizon's visible cell network customers say they were hacked visible is a company that's owned by verizon and originally visible customers went on reddit and other platforms and said that they think that they were hacked it turns out that they were correct. So a cell service provider, which is visible, verified that customer reports of attackers accessed and changed user accounts that were used to do unauthorized charges via PayPal and credit card. All points of evidence, though, seem to be that the usernames and passwords were obtained from other sources. That's key. In other words, this is in some ways just user error. People were reusing credentials between other accounts. People might have suffered a data breach from that other account and they just tried out the same credentials for the cell network and they got right in. So the takeaway here is one, speak up if you think something is wrong because it doesn't seem like they were aware of this issue until people started talking about it. And two, use unique credentials, people. You shouldn't have to use the same password and username between two different services. Privacy 101. Our second data breach, and the final one of the week, is Acer has confirmed a second cyber attack in 2021 after the ransomware incident that they suffered in March. So they confirmed a cyber attack on its offices in India this week after hackers uh, claimed to have breached servers and stolen 60, 60 gigabytes of files. The group emailed ZDNet after the hack, claiming to have customer and corporate business data as well as financial information. When asked, the hackers denied it was a ransomware attack and actually claimed to have access to the company's servers, quote, over time, which is interesting because it means they had ongoing access to this information and weren't just, they didn't just go in, steal what they could and leave. The takeaways here, attackers can have ongoing access to company assets or maybe even customers of that company's assets. This is another reason to be cautious of central entities who don't implement the threat models required to take this into account. Um, Signal and Proton, for example, are two companies that do in some ways assume there's a fully compromised server. That's why end-to-end -end encryption is really important and you shouldn't have the company to trust in this uh, relationship when you're signing up for services. Again, you can trust the company, but what if the company suffers a hack? That's why you really wanna make sure your data is yours and not someone else's. All right, let's move right along to companies. And we're gonna start with Apple who has released iOS 15.0.2 for iPhone and iPad OS with bug and security fixes. This is it. It's a new update, new security fixes. We always like to put these in to remind you to update and implement automatic updates on all of your devices. It is generally a good thing to do. Up next, this is a fun story. So two neighbors, who lived next to each other were just vibing one day. 
and one pointed out that his Amazon Ring security system is something that he had. Um, and he was showing how it like points out and all the, the cool things that it does and how he can view it from his smartphone. He was pretty much just showing off this cool tech. And then I had the other neighbor kind of think, oh my gosh, hey, my property's in this frame here. So pretty much what happened is that neighbor actually filed a lawsuit about this. And the larger concern in the lawsuit was the audio that was able to be picked up, which you weren't able to disable on the rings back when this case was unfolding. Apparently they added the functionality to disable audio recording, but audio actually seemed to be the major concern, not necessarily video. Long story short, that neighbor who made the complaint ended up winning. What this outlines is how a single person getting one of these devices, even if it's for themselves, can impact all the people around them, and it asks really important questions regarding your rights in the community. If a neighbor gets a ring and your house is in a frame, how does that impact you, and do you have a right to, I guess, have a say in that, because you are being impacted by this in one way or another? Just something to think about. thought it was an interesting story, and I thought it had kind of a cool ending that makes us all think a little bit. Up next, a big one for Snapchat users or just social media users in general. Quote, the headline, Snapchat boosts efforts to root out drug dealers. Seems like a noble ambition, but here's kind of the breakdown. So Snapchat's parent company, Snap, has announced new tools and educational content to keep its community safe from, quote, devastating impacts of the fentanyl crisis. By the way, I might be mispronouncing that. I don't know anything about drugs. I'm so just disconnected from that world. So I'm sorry if I mispronounce it, but it's called the fentanyl crisis. I honestly don't know what it is. The company said it's implemented automated systems it uses to detect the sale of illegal drugs on the app. Um, they've hired more people to respond to law enforcement requests for data during criminal investigations, and they've developed an in-app education portal called Heads Up, which is focused on the dangers of fentanyl and counterfeit pills. I assume fentanyl is like um, illegal, you're up, up, illegally obtained pills. That's the context I'm getting from this, but I don't know. Another important note, for the last six months, it has been using intelligence from public health data company S3, which scours the internet for drug sellers, to identify Snapchat accounts that are potentially violating the rules. S3 does not search directly on Snapchat, but instead looks for dealers elsewhere on other social media sites or the dark web who reference a Snapchat account in their advertisements. A few things. First, I want to start by going there. If Snap cares so much about their community, why don't they bother better vetting the absolute atrocity that is the ads that they post on their own platform, as well as the crappy news stories that are just beyond sexual and beyond I don't know, there's so many things wrong with Snapchat's news and story tab, which by the way, didn't used to be a thing way back in the day when I used to have a Snapchat. So that's the first thing I'm gonna say, but it doesn't, it's a fallacy for me to use that as in, in the context of this uh, article. The major concern here, in my opinion, you should, you should already know that Snapchat collects data. It's not that private. Um, they don't actually even disappear when, when you, when you watch your, your snap, man, I'm starting to sound like an old person who's not remembering terms for social media platforms. Long story short though, when you send something to someone, you should still assume Snapchat can re recover that in some way, shape or form because it doesn't actually disappear and they were sued for this and they were caught doing this. But the major concern here is how some of this data gathering is done on external platforms from Snapchat. The health data company S3 actually going and seeing users who then promote their Snapchat accounts shows how thorough these investigations can be. This isn't just Snapchat collecting data on all the people in the same universal way and submitting it to companies. This is a company actually going and looking for people and they see that they have a social media account and that immediately um, 
is enough information to get them caught for whatever they're doing wrong. Um, so I'm not, again, we don't necessarily give advice for you to do something wrong, but we are looking at the privacy implications of these things that happen. So the takeaways here, surveillance and privacy concerns are commonly cross-platform. It's not just exclusive to the platform you're on. Another takeaway is social media is just toxic for you as well as your privacy based on pretty much every scientific method of measurement, be it mental health, physical health, productivity, there is almost nothing that social media benefits in your life. So I would encourage you to at least consider reducing your social media use, deleting some of your social media accounts, or just stop using it altogether. That is my personal recommendation. And the other final takeaway is Snapchat is not private and you should not expect any privacy on Snapchat. There you go. Up next, a VPN service, quote, agrees to block BitTorrent and keep logs to settle a piracy lawsuit. First off, this headline is very sensationalized and we'll talk about that soon. Let's go through the story. So a VPN company called VPN.ht, which by the way, I have never heard of in my life and you probably haven't either, but that's okay because there's larger implications for this. They have settled a copyright infringement lawsuit filed by a group of independent movie companies earlier this year. As part of this deal, the VPN agreed to block BitTorrent traffic and start logging IP address information on all of its US servers. While this is a controversial order, VPN HT says that users are still protected as instead of going along with the order, they've decided to stop using US servers. After filing the original complaint, the copyright holders increased pressure. They obtained a temporary restraining order that required PayPal to freeze the assets of the company in order for them to take this seriously. Here is a quote from the company, VPN.ht, quote, we do not intend to lock our customers, so we will stop offering US servers. We refuse to share any information about our customers, which we don't have anyway. They also said, we're not, a, we're not big enough to keep fighting, stressing that it will continue to protect users. There are tons of takeaways from this story. First of all, this is a misleading headline. Who would have thought? Because they didn't actually comply with this. When it says they agreed, they didn't actually agree. So I don't really know why they don't change this headline because it's actually completely the opposite of what they did. Second, the company, in my opinion, did all of the right things. They tried to go through the proper legal channels to make sure that they can protect their users. And that's what, and you know what? It kind of sucks, but like they had to t shut down all of their US servers. Um, they had PayPal freeze their assets. This company could not function as a company unless they did something about this. And their two options were to just comply with the order or do something drastic like stop offering US servers, which honestly, I think they made the right move. Third, this is kind of a side note, there are a couple other major VPNs who do not allow P2P on their US servers. And I just wanna kind of outline that that's likely why they do something like that. Something else, this is almost kind of a LavaBit situation. I don't know if you, many of you know about LavaBit, which was the email provider that Edward Snowden was using when he was communicating with journalists. LavaBit was pressured to implement a backdoor and essentially keep tabs on all of their users and they uh, denied the request, which is something very rare because you are a small company having to fight a government. So this is a company that was fighting another company, which is a little bit different, but at the end of the day, it's still one of those rare situations where this company had everything that they could possibly have on the line. Their funds were completely frozen on PayPal and they still made the right decision and that's something very rare to find. The fact that we're even hearing about it is likely because they didn't comply with this, meaning we probably wouldn't hear about this with most small VPN companies that 
simply comply with everything they're supposed to comply with. Finally, you should be very angry about this story, not towards the VPN, but towards movie production studios who are putting pressures on independent companies to sacrifice their values. Um, this in turn decreases the possible safety of all the tools that we as a society rely on. Keep in mind this movie production studio company sued the VPN company requesting them to keep logs on all US users, all of them not just ones using BitTorrent traffic, all of them. They also requested them to block all BitTorrent traffic, even if you're using BitTorrent to download something legal like a Linux ISO. So this just violates so many things that really shouldn't be violated and you should be very angry about this and it shows a very anti-consumer method of dealing with piracy. Up next, I wanna keep this quick, but a person close to the brand of Proton, Proton Mail, shared pretty much a graphic showing that they are likely going to be launching several new products. One is Proton Chat, one is Proton Drive. There's also Proton Wallet, which is supposed to compete with Coinbase and more. Nothing's confirmed here, but it's likely going to happen. We'll watch out for it. This just backs up what we've said in the past, that Proton is really moving to be your all-in-one suite for privacy, which for some of you, that's awesome. If you're looking for possibly some kind of Google alternative, and some of you might go, I don't wanna put that much faith in a single company, and I wanna have my own email provider, my own chat service. I think that the fact that this even exists is only good for the world because now you have a choice between two like two possibilities of moving forward with privacy. So good on Proton, I guess. Um, I probably personally wouldn't put everything into the Proton ecosystem, but I know some people that would absolutely love this. So very cool. And finally, our last story is also about Proton, who has launched a new bug bounty program. Pretty much Proton's gonna reward people for reporting vulnerabilities in their products. That's all good. It's a good sign, and it's probably gonna make your stuff more secure in the long run, so good job, Proton. All right, let's go into research, and this week is gonna start with one of my favorite research pieces I've seen of 2021, and it's a study that reveals the scale of data sharing from Android mobile devices. The reason why I love this so much is that it compares the default Android operating system that comes with manufacturers, um, specifically Xiaomi, Huawei, and Samsung, compared to two custom ROMs, which many of you listening might know, Lineage OS and EOS. We've covered both of these ROMs on the TechLore channel, just search up EOS, TechLore, um, and Lineage OS is something that's referenced throughout Go Incognito, our Become Anonymous guide, and tons of our content, as well as our website. So it's cool, we actually get to see some research seeing how these ROMs perform. First off, I highly recommend you read it because it's very good and it's very in-depth and you're gonna learn something new from it, but here are the general takeaways. First, all of these Android manufacturers come with ROMs that spy on you and share data with third parties. In fact, even if you opt out of the settings that they give you, I'm gonna quote the study here, we observe that Samsung, Xiaomi, Realme, and Huawei all collect data from user handsets, despite the user having opted out of data collection, telemetry, analytics, and making no use of services offered by these companies. So even if you opt out of everything on these phones and you use none of their products, they're still going to be collecting very similar, if not the same exact data. Now, if you look at the charts inside the study, you'll find that everything doesn't look so hot. And then there's Lineage OS, which performs very well, but still reports data to Google. We'll talk about that soon. And EOS is completely clean. Now, the reason that in this research, Lineage OS reports data to Google is actually because in the research, this is why you need to read research studies. The way they conducted this is they flashed Lineage OS with OpenG apps, which is essentially Google Play services. So all of the Google connections you're seeing on Lineage OS in this research is because they flashed Lineage OS with G apps, which actually doesn't come with by default. So that is something very important. I assume that Lineage OS would have zero connections to Google if 
or much fewer if they're not using this, if they're not doing this research with OpenG apps. EOS runs MicroG. So there's a few takeaways here. One, even if you rely on Google Play services or G apps, using them on Lineage OS is still better than your default ROM for privacy. I know that it's very discouraged to use Google Play services and there's a good reason for that. But if you're choosing between using a Samsung device or something like Lineage OS with G apps, you're going to have the same compatibility on them. All the apps are gonna work. You can still use the Google Play Store on both of them, but Lineage OS is objectively still better. So if you're someone reliant on G apps, but you want even a small improvement, check out Lineage OS with G apps. It's still an improvement. Next up, MicroG is privacy-wise better than G apps, which is expected. We, we kind of knew this. MicroG is an open source implementation of G apps that tries to anonymize web traffic, and it does a very decent job of that. Three, Android manufacturers don't give a damn about your privacy. You should have known this considering how often we tell people not to get things like Samsung devices unless they can flash a custom ROM or they're using something like stock Android. It's because of these points that we typically say, if you're not going to be messing around with your phone and you just want something out of the box, typically the iPhone isn't a worse option than going for a Samsung device. And that's why we say, if you're having to choose between an iPhone or something like a Huawei device, we're always gonna push you towards the iPhone because it takes care of most of the stuff out of the box with a much more first party um, issue rather than the third party one. And this is something we talked about recently on TechLore as well. There's a big difference between first and third party privacy. Apple does a very good job with third party privacy, but not necessarily first party privacy. Whereas these companies kind of fail in both. Another takeaway, don't forget you can use MicroG, the open source implementation of G apps on Lineage OS to pretty much replicate EOS. Which, and by the way, E is actually forked from Lineage OS. So you, there's no reason you should really be using E over Lineage unless there's something in the E ecosystem that you're really attached to. And finally, the last takeaway I got from this is it's important to realize not all manufacturers are equally bad. This is something that I fall into as well, where I just go, oh, Samsung, Huawei, and Xiaomi, they all did all this invasive tracking. So they're all equally bad when it's actually not the case. Samsung actually did the best out of those three. So if someone's coming to me and they say, hey, I'm not going to install custom ROM, I'm not gonna do any of this, and I'm not gonna get an iPhone because I hate Apple, what Android device should I buy? There's still a better choice for them. So I do this as well. It's really easy to group up the bad people as just bad people, but there are less bad people. And in this case, Samsung came out on top if you're someone who's not gonna be going the custom ROM, custom ROM route. I took up a lot of time with that because I really like this research. Again, I still recommend you read through it yourself because the charts and everything there are very interesting. But yeah, long story short, custom ROMs work. And yeah, very cool stuff. Up next, there's a site called This Person Does Not Exist. And it's essentially the site that creates people like AI based people. So these are people that don't actually exist, but they look like people that exist. And this is all done with facial recognition technology and AI. There's an interesting paper that was just released called This Person Probably Exists, where researchers showed that many faces that were produced by tools like these actually have a striking resemblance to actual people who are part of the training data. The fake faces can effectively unmask the real faces that, the, that everything is based on. So this actually makes it possible to expose the identity of those individuals. This work is part of a latest string of studies that call into doubt the popular idea that neural networks are, quote, black boxes that reveal nothing about what goes on inside. Quote, such attacks can lead to serious security leaks. For example, finding out that someone's medical data was used to train a model associated with a disease might reveal that this person has that disease. 
So the takeaways here, one, this is just interesting. It's something to think about that models and partaking in any studies can sometimes put you in jeopardy. Keep that in mind when you're helping out with a new technology we don't fully understand. Um, we just don't quite know. We don't understand these things very well. And now we're starting to learn that, wow, these things that were probably protecting all these people in some to some degree actually aren't. And all those people's faces that were part of the training set might actually now be tied to the, to the images after all the processing was done to them. And that's all the research for the week. Let's go ahead and move into politics. First, this is kind of a nothing burger, but Biden has signed a school cybersecurity act into law. Pretty much they're going to analyze the K through 12 cybersecurity between schools and they're gonna report on recommendations as well as toolkits to improve hygiene. Again, it's kind of a nothing burger because all that was done was this was passed. We don't know if anything's gonna come of this, so we'll just keep an, our eyes on it going forward. Up next, California activists, including the EFF, have sued the Marin County Sheriff for illegally sharing driver's license plate data with ICE, CPB, CBP, and other out-of-state agencies. Title says it all. There's not really much information outside of what the title says, which was they had all these cameras set up and they were doing this illegally. So we'll see what unfolds and we'll see if there's any positive result that comes out of this. And our final political story is going to be in Moscow, where the Metro has rolled out facial recognition pay systems. This has now been touted as the world's first mass scale facial recognition payment system amid privacy concerns over the new technology. This is a cashless, cardless, and phoneless system named FacePay, which has launched at more than 240 stations across the Russian capital. Now, all the passengers will be able to pay for travel without taking out their phone, metro, or bank card. To activate FacePay, Passengers need to connect their photo, bank card, and metro card to the service through the mobile app first. And then once that's done, you don't even need your phone. So you go into the, the you just walk in and it scans your face and everything is good to go. One, I do think, like I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say it. I think this is kind of cool, first off. Like, wouldn't it be cool if you just walk around and you don't have to carry a wallet or a phone? It's convenient. But like we always say, convenience typically comes at the cost of privacy and security, and that's exactly what's happening here. The concerns are obvious. We're seeing a rise in biometric authentication, which Nathan and I have been talking about quite a bit recently on the podcast. This is a field that's going to continue to expand, and it's important that we keep an eye on it. No pun intended. Um, but pretty much, like, I don't know, just be cautious with this. There are security implications, there are privacy implications, and there's many things that we need to think about before implementing this on a wide scale but it is cool. <laughs> All right, we're gonna move on to the free and open source section or FOSS. We're gonna start with Pine64 who produces Linux-based devices and they just released the new PinePhone Pro, which is a Linux phone. We just did a little recap review on the TechLore YouTube channel if you're interested in learning our thoughts about it. Uh, go into sources to view that or you can go into sources to view the official webpage for the PinePhone Pro and look more into it. It's pretty much an upgraded version of the Previous PinePhone runs the same operating system, just with a little bit better hardware. On a similar note, the company behind Sailfish OS just recently became profitable. That's pretty much it. It's cool to see open source options, even Sailfish who is open source with some closed source components, become profitable. And it should always make us ask, how can we make this happen more often? The more profitable we make some of these open source projects, the better they can compete against their proprietary counterparts. It's very important that we think about the business models of some of these projects that we're dependent on, because without a business model, there's a much lower likelihood of them performing well in the long run. In theory, I don't think there's any project that wouldn't benefit from a huge amount of funding. That's all I'm gonna say. Up next, Debian 11.1 has been released, which does address some security issues as well as a couple new features. So again, update. Canonical has released Ubuntu Linux 21.10, 
So again, if you want to check that out, update, though this is less of a security issue and more of just a feature release. OpenBSD has hit version 7.0. ProtonVPN has added WireGuard support for Android. So you can now get WireGuard on Android via ProtonVPN. Finally, next we're going to move on to Wicker. So we talked recently about how Amazon actually bought out Wicker, which is alarming enough. But now we've also learned that there was a, almost a $2 million investment in Wicker from a CIA funding arm before the whole Amazon buyout even happened. So now Wicker has both Amazon money in it, well, not even money in it, Amazon owns it, and also we previously had government money that was going towards Wicker. There's two ways of looking at this. The government is investing in a tool that's good enough to keep them safe that they trust, so maybe we should all be using this, or the government is investing in this as a means of control over the product to influence the security of end users. There's two ways of looking at it. We're not probably gonna ever know an answer unless something really terrible happens. But um, I do think there is some degree of comfort when I'm told that this is the same tool that the government uses, similar to how the government's known for using Tor. Because it's like, wow, this is good enough for the government to use, so maybe it's good enough for me to use. But also you can equally look at it the other way. And I don't think either option is the correct option. It's just uh, your perspective on the issue. And finally, Wire, another secure messenger, uh, has introduced conferencing and some other updates to their group calls, which is very cool. All right, everyone, and we're down to a final category of the week, misfits. This one is a fun one. So the Missouri governor has vowed to prosecute St. Louis Post-Dispatch for reporting a security vulnerability. This is kind of a ridiculous story. So the newspaper found that teachers' social security numbers were contained in the HTML source code of the pages involved. For those of you who understand how the internet works, HTML source code can be viewed by any browser. I don't know if you've ever seen people just inspect elements, but that's essentially what you're doing. You're inspecting the element on a web page, meaning that teachers' social security numbers were essentially public information for anyone who clicked inspect element. Now, where things get juicy is Governor Parson, the, the Missouri governor, said that he's going to prosecute and investigate the reporter who reported this issue um, for unlawfully accessing teacher data. And he's calling this an unauthorized hack and an abuse of information and power. This is like laughable on, on several accounts. Um, if anything actually happens and comes out of this, it's going to set a terrible precedent for security disclosure, and it's going to make the entire world a less secure place. Because it means if you find any kind of issue, even from inspecting element on a web page, you're not going to want to report it because, oh wow, am I gonna get caught in a lawsuit? So without getting political, it seems the politician is more concerned about invoking fear and defending his image rather than actually improving the security of the impacted individuals. This isn't even technically a hack in my opinion, it was just someone who inspected Element on a web page and noticed that there was a very clear issue here because it's exposing sensitive information. This is beyond ridiculous, um, it's a very funny story to follow, but it is ridiculous and it does set some very scary precedents if um, this actually leads to something bad happening to the reporter who very responsibly disclosed this. And finally, our final story for the week. A woman has allegedly hacked flight school, which cleared planes with maintenance issues to fly. So she hacked into systems of a flight training school in Florida to delete and tamper with information related to the airplanes. In some cases, those planes had previously had maintenance issues that were then cleared to fly, which is a little bit scary to think about. Where things get a little interesting is the woman, who's a 26-year-old, she used to work for the Melbourne Flight Training School. So she was in some way involved with this, and she resigned from her position at the end of November of 2019 after the company fired her father. 
Um, months later, she allegedly hacked into the systems of her former company, deleting and changing records in an apparent attempt to get back at her former employer. So this is another interesting example of someone who's trying to get revenge on a company. It's not, technically not an insider threat because she was fired, but it still is very similar to an insider threat for companies, which is something we also talk about. It's unclear if she somehow had still access to any systems because of she used to be a part of it. For all we know, maybe the fact that she had access to systems beforehand made it easier for her to get access to them again, but this wasn't something I could find in the article. But either way, just the fact that she was a part of this company, she knew how the systems worked. So even if she didn't have direct access to them, she still has that insider knowledge of knowing how everything works behind the scenes. Just something to think about. If you're, if you're someone who's hiring people, keep this in mind when you're hiring them and try to make sure that you let them go cleanly in a way where um, they're not gonna wanna take revenge and kill people. <laughs> and that was all the news for the week for SR59. We had some very interesting news this week. Personally, I really liked the mobile OS research. That's like my favorite stuff to talk about. And it was cool seeing a research article that actually goes into these open source ROMs that we constantly talk about. We want to thank you for listening to the surveillance report. We're happy to know that you're trying to stay safe out there. And also make sure to subscribe if you're on a platform that allows that or just follow the RSS feed and make sure to give us a like or a rating or something depending on where you're listening to it from. You can listen to this podcast through like a dozen different methods. Finally, don't forget to join our Patreon, patreon.com slash techlore. Just check it out, see if it's something you're interested in. You can join for as little as a dollar a month and you can also go up a little bit more. Um, again, we're trying to build out a little signal group over time and that's something we're going to introduce in the coming weeks. So so if you really want to be a part of a small little tight-knit community where we can talk about things like privacy and security or even some of these stories and you can directly ask us questions, then that's something that's definitely an option for you. So we'd love to have you there. That's it for this week. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you for SR60.